the advice need in the UK has never been greater. As we come out of COVID, as we enter periods of high inflation, as consumers consider how they provide for their future life and pension provisions, the advice process is crucial and I think it's a combination of people and technology that will ensure that's delivered you know, to the best for an individual client's needs. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. My guest today is award-winning CEO Dean Proctor of 7IM. Dean shares how they engage their customers, clients, and employees in building a shared purpose and the impact that has had on the organization particularly on employee willingness to take on leadership roles at all levels. He also describes some of the frameworks and processes they've put in place to reinforce and maintain this shared purpose. Well, Dean, good morning. Thank you for joining us here on The Purposeful Strategist. You're the chief executive of a business called 7IM. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about 7IM and a bit about yourself. Yep, welcome. Good morning. 7 Investment Management, 20 years old this year, established by seven people, thus thus the name, um, that wish to create radical transparency, largely for customers and investors in the investment management industry. Uh, The focus was on providing solutions for financial intermediaries, so financial advisors across the UK and then clients. And as of today, we're privileged to manage approximately 20 billion of assets on behalf of those intermediaries and clients. We're a team of approaching 500 people based in London, Edinburgh, and Jersey. If I got it right, used a phrase there, radical transparency. Maybe you could just, as a way to explain what that means, sort of describe how that shows up in the business. Of course. So if you do a comparison to, say, retail banking, I think most consumers would be quite accustomed with things like a savings account or a mortgage, etc. What we provide are a range of investments. This is access to funds and models. There's some slight complexity around that, whether it's your SIP, your, 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 your personal planning, your general investment account from which you can access products that perhaps start in a passive range at a low cost solution to a higher cost actively managed solution. People will hear acronyms like annual management charge. And the firm has always had a very clear intent, whether it's with the advisor or directly to client, to be clear and transparent about the structure, the product, and the charging model that is used by the the end investor. And I think that's important. Clearly, you want clients to have that level of understanding to ensure all the outcomes that you push forward are in the best interest of that client. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about strategy, we're going to talk about purpose, but before we maybe even get into that, when you think about an organization's purpose, what is that for you? How's that different from a mission, a vision, or maybe they're all the same thing? Yeah, I think many of these things get intertwined, don't they? But at 7IM, we actually engaged all at the time, it was about 375 colleagues, which I, if I recall, through Q2 and the early part of Q3, we asked not just every colleague, but also many of our customers and clients to talk to us about how they perceived 7IM, what they wanted from 7IM, and we came up with a purpose statement just simply called Succeeding Together. 
And for me, that encapsulates quite a lot of things, really. It means inside the firm, we work as one team to ensure we deliver the, the, the sort of the service and the experience that clients are looking for. I'm a huge fan of breaking down internal functional barriers where people can work across silos and they focus on the end objective, which is to serve our clients. So succeeding together is not just an internal catchphrase, therefore, it's something that applies, obviously, wanting to be in absolute partnership with our customers. And, you know, we're lucky to look after hundreds of intermediary clients and thousands of investors, and we want them to feel like that we are ultimately linked in the determination to succeed together, you know, however one defines it, whether that's long-term investment strategies, you know, whether that's short-term risk management objectives, then succeeding together is certainly our purpose at Seven. Mm-hmm. So you, you started to talk about sort of the range of people you got involved. How long did that process take and what were you actually doing there? Was it just kind of lots of one-on-one conversations or were there any group sessions? How did all that happen? Yeah, so questionnaires to individual uh, staff members, group sessions, interaction with our customers, I say, to solicit their feedback. Belden, honestly, some of the feedback was quite telling that the firm had reached a certain milestone in its journey and to hear from customers that they wanted us to, again, to be innovative, to be disruptive, to be different, you know, for me, was quite refreshing having worked in bigger institutions as well as small, you know, we, we wanted to embark on this next phase to sort of both reconnect with how the firm started itself 20 years ago, which was at the forefront of technology and things in the industry. And then also obviously to identify with a new identity to move the firm forward. All of that feedback was incredibly useful. It did take us two to three months to receive and digest all of that feedback. We did it in partnership with our learning and development partner, a firm called Abstract, who had been involved with the firm for several years before my arrival and had a deep knowledge of of 7IM. And we used their independent voice to keep challenging you know, the, the management's thinking about how we then shaped our future-looking strategy and vision for, for, for Seven. And, uh, you know, I think that still sits with us today, and I think it will hold the test of time. But like all strategies, it's also important to, to iterate and to keep moving forward because, you know, it's never done, is it? You always want to strive and have ambition for more. So the other thing that we've instigated is every year we hold what's called an annual strategy health check. And we both sit as a management team and then actually with our board and we review where we are, the progress we've made, and then what our ambitions are for the next you know, period. And we usually typically look both short and medium term, so three to five years out, what is it we're trying to achieve together over that sort of journey period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how, how did you go from, I mean, this, this idea of succeeding together, I think is pretty inspiring, but also could cover a lot of different things. How did you get from that broad purpose down to the specifics of what you were going to do in your strategy? So we created what we call VPVP, so uh, vision, purpose, values, and personality. So the vision is to deliver an unrivaled experience. It's a bit generic. Whether that is internal or external, it is to do that. Then we have seven values and then seven personality traits. So, you know, for example, one or two of our values are to keep things simple, to demand excellence, And then personality, it's helped us in so many ways. It it sort of differentiates us. It helps us with recruitment process, the the sorts of behaviors that that we're looking for. So we have things like versatile, inclusive, no nonsense, modern, uh, enthusiastic. So dare I say, not the typical generic terms that one might find across our industry. We've definitely tried to be different. And those words were the words of colleagues. 
the words that they felt and or wanted to be as a personality trait going forward. So we use those in terms of how we then retain, select and recruit new colleagues to the firm. And, you know, we're very open about it. We've shared our VPV statements quite widely and we see it as a point of difference for 7am. So you've got that. Let's take any one of them, say modern. How does that translate into the projects and initiatives and everything else? As you said, you've sort of got this strategic kind of health check once a year. Is there any other process you go through either right at the beginning or throughout the year or to, to get from those kind of very broad statements down to, so what are we going to do this year? As a leader, I am pretty numerate and I'm pretty keen on the metrics and the numbers and how we're doing commercially like all CEOs are. But, you know, let, let's be honest, those are the outputs. You know, we attain those objectives if we do the right inputs. So these traits that we describe, we, we do what quarterly pulse surveys. So every period we will ask our staff, how are we doing? Give us the feedback. We will regularly say to clients at the end of partnership meetings, please appraise us. Are we achieving the things that we set out to together? Are we succeeding together by the objectives that we defined in, in the spirit of a proper partnership? We then instigated, which there's nothing new in this, but, but it's the content and the process that matters. So we have balanced scorecards. Every member of the team will have a balanced scorecard. That means that they've got connection with the strategy at the top level of the firm and the VPVPs that we're seeking to achieve. But also, obviously, there is personal and team connectivity within the objectives that they set for themselves. And they are reviewed and appraised on a quarterly basis. And there's a good mixture within that scorecard across strategic, financial, and then values and behaviors to ensure that, you know, the key aspects of what one's looking for across the performance agenda are measured and uh, recognized. It sounds like that process is fairly distributed, that that everybody gets involved, rather than it being a, you know, sort of small group at the top, figure all out, then tell everybody what to do. I mean, is that a fair description of it, or would you see it some other way? Yeah, I think that's very fair. We've tried, and we continue to try. This is a never-ending journey. I read long and hard about, you know, cultural transformation can take seven to ten years and all of that, and we're, what, two and a half years in. I think we've made great progress, but, you know, it's, it's continuous. We established what I called an extended leadership forum at the end of 2019. So a group of around 60 people that are sort of middle and senior managers, the key influence and change agents around the firm, uh, not just the executive team who will meet pretty frequently. They will talk about the progress we're making, again, how we do and what's important. What are they hearing from colleagues? How do we respond? That group of people, to me, actually, on a day-to-day basis, have a greater influence over culture and strategy than even I do. Um, you know, my interactions of 500 people are clearly different than line managers that would be with their teams day-to-day. And those people are the real culture drivers, and we seek to engage them very frequently and openly with, you know, with the strategy and direction of the firm. And that's more than 10% of the population of people you've got there. Yeah, I mean, d- deliberately, Belden, because I've worked in bigger institutions and, you know, often the larger organizations are fantastic at this sort of work because there's discrete teams that have, you know, some really great skills at developing all of this stuff. But cascading this sort of initiative and depth of sense of being and purpose across an organization of thousands is no small task. We're 500 people and as, as a senior leadership team, whether that's 60 or 70 of us, it is our goal to ensure that we take 
the vast majority and as many of those colleagues with us on a journey as possible. And I don't think that can be done by one leader or one executive team. I think it needs more people championing the cause. And I think we've made great progress, but I, I certainly don't consider it done. I think there's still much more we can do to keep moving this forward. You mentioned that you used abstract as some external support when you're doing the purpose work. Do they also work with you on these kind of periodic extended leadership team meetings or do you kind of organize that internally? Yes, they do. Not all. Obviously, there are certain meetings when, you know, you want it to be just you and your own team. But they've been a tremendous partner over the last three years. At least my time with them has been fantastic. They've helped us with all sorts of training around how we make sure our colleagues are better managers, the skills that are required to affect change, to drive cultural transformation, you know, lots of things of which, again, in a big firm, you could log on to an internet site and see. In a smaller firm, sometimes those things aren't so readily available. And with Abstract, we've managed to put together, you know, what I think is quite a comprehensive support system in for colleagues to reference, to use, to lean on. We've used them periodically for things like one-to-one coaching and mentoring, etc. So just to get an outside perspective, Abstract work with a lot of big firms, but also a lot of small ones. So again, you've got an independent voice occasionally giving you some valuable input. Yeah, yeah. And if I understand right, a large chunk of this whole journey you've been on has been during COVID in various stages of lockdown. Has that made a difference? I'm, I'm sure it has, but what difference has it made? If you'd have asked me what I thought the firm's capabilities in all remote working when I first arrived, I would have said they were pretty slim. I, I would guess we'll probably only have 20, 25% of the workforce in an office today. And I'm, I'm really grateful that for, you know, six or nine months through 2019, we focused on many cultural aspects, but we also focused on equipping ourselves for a more modern workforce. There weren't really policies about hybrid working or working from home. Indeed, uh, most colleagues wouldn't have had the, the technology available to do that when I joined the firm. Therefore, the work that we did leading up to the mid-March 2020 to call full remote working, I, I'm glad we'd done the preparatory work garden because we, we, without that, we wouldn't have operated. We went from having almost no working from home to 100% work from home, and the culture stood up incredibly well. The technology was resilient. We actually never really dropped a heartbeat in serving our clients, in fact, for, for that first sort of six months of lockdown our client engagement scores went up because we were doing all sorts of things like webinars blogs or those new techniques that one had to then turn to and culturally the way the team came together and supported one another via a new medium was phenomenal and you know i think it really did show the benefits of the work that we'd put in in the preceding six to nine months on the cultural work piece Hmm. Uh, one of the things we haven't talked about shows up in some percentage of discussions about purpose is the whole climate change net zero agenda. I'm mean, given the media focus and, and even public focus on that. Does an organization's purpose have to relate to that somehow? Oh, absolutely. It's crucial. And we're subscribers to the UK PRI stewardship code. We've created in the last two or three years a different governance structure. So we have a culture and sustainability committee. Uh, that, that obviously is principally focused on people and, and sustainability issues. As an investment management firm, we have investment products that are ESG, but we actually are working towards having that ESG approach embedded in our process and not just at a product level. So it has to be integrated in all that we do so that all of our products and solutions have you know, the principles of sustainability embedded in, in what we do. 
And around the firm, we've changed you know, many things, whether it's travel policies or green initiatives, to support what is an incredibly important agenda. The good thing about what we've been doing in this space, actually, is it's being driven by, dare I say, a different group of people and a different generation than it being you know, just the executive management team recognizing it's important. So actually, there's a lot of passionate colleagues on, on this subject matter. They have led the charge rather than it being a top-down initiative, which I think is rather rewarding. Yeah. You fairly recently won a CEO of the Year Award What's your sense of how that came about? I, I, honestly, I think there is only one reason. I think it's because colleagues have engaged in this process that we've been on and the journey we've been on together. You know, I think I'm rather fortunate to be CEO of 7IM. I've had a couple of prior experiences of leading firms. I'm more suitable now for sort of mid-sized firms, perhaps, than larger firms in my, my own approach and outlook. I like to be able to touch things and influence things and not sit in ivory towers. I think that's much more akin with my own style. But you know, the only reason that one gets those awards is because you know colleagues have been responsive to the journey that we've been on, and without their help, you know, I certainly would be nowhere. So it's a team effort that makes those achievements. However, I would I would also come back to the fact that as a leader, you can never be satisfied, can you? You've always got to be ambitious, and I am. I, you know, we, we've, we've made progress. I'd describe it as good to very good, but we're after excellence. You know, we want to be a disruptor. We want to be innovating. We want to be seen as being a firm that delivers for its clients. The unrivaled experience is what we're after, and, you know, we're, we're focused. We will keep progressing towards those lofty goals over the next period. Mm-hmm. On this journey you've been on with your colleagues, what's been surprising to you about it? I, I love it when people come from sort of left field and, and you, you, you think, actually, I didn't know that individual could do that or was passionate about that or wanted a, you know, a fresh opportunity, etc. I mean, that's just super rewarding. It's even the last couple of months when we've got two or three you know, key issues we try to address in the firm, actually, whilst I'm saying to myself, lean in, uh, get involved if they're key issues it should have my, my time and, and engagement. What's been really quite rewarding is in both instances two, dare I say, younger colleagues that are you know, only a few years into the career have held their hand up and said, Nadine, I can lead on this I'll chair the meetings I will push this agenda forward you attend and listen we will run and facilitate and I, I think that is amazing you know, and I think that goes to show that people around the firm you see that they can have a role to play and take up leadership positions, regardless of their time in work, seniority, etc. And, you know, for me, that's just a brilliant testament to the culture we're creating. It's not about hierarchy. It's about doing the best that we can, playing to people's strengths and skills. That is what ultimately will breed success for 7am. How much of that, you know, of people sort of stepping up like that, do you think comes directly out of the way you've developed the process and this extended leadership team, you know, and the range of things you've been doing to really make it an inclusive process? And how much of it's just personality or luck or whatever? I think the journey we've been on has played a huge role to the response of colleagues. You know, people feeling like they can hold their hand up. Folks will laugh when I start talking about this, but I'm quite a book reader on strategy and management. I read the one on radical candor over the summer and I love it. It, it resonates deeply with me. A lot of people will sit in meetings and they've got a real point they want to make, but they'll leave it and they'll say it outside mm -hmm. the room rather than in the room. And they'll say it to a, a slightly secondary person rather than the primary target for the comment. 
I, I think all of that is a cultural journey that, that you have to go on. I think we've made great progress, but there's still more that we can do. But people holding their hands up, challenging and supporting one another with high degrees of challenge and support, I think is crucial. I can see people growing in their roles and their strength of uh, opinion. I, I think it's fabulous. As we've progressed, I think the cultural journey has been absolutely critical to some of the challenges that we face and how we've responded to them. Not least things like COVID, which you know has it, been difficult for all, has been a lot longer than perhaps we all predicted. But you know that cultural spirit has shone through during that period. Yeah. Beyond COVID, what's been the most difficult part of the journey? Markets falling at rapid rates in March and April 2020 was pretty difficult when you're watching several noughts flow off your balance sheet <laughs> and uh, there's not much one can do about that. But yeah, yeah. You have to sort of uh, lean in and, and, and realize that's an uncontrollable, so just focus on the controllables. I would say... Uh, without exaggerating the point, there probably isn't a week that goes by when you're a, a CEO that there isn't a degree of a, a crisis moment that you've got to respond to. You've just got to keep calm, evaluate the problem, try and diagnose the issues, and then bring the right people around the table to move those forward. It's how one responds to that that really counts. And the team and the culture aspects, again, of being able to recognize a problem admit that one needs help, lean on the expertise that you have around you, whether that's internal or sometimes external. That's a cultural transformation. That's not trying to bury the problem. That's not looking to scapegoat. That, that's, that's a shared purpose that allows you to resolve those things successfully. What's the impact been on you personally? You know, how have you changed in the course of this process? I would say, if I'm honest, when I first got the chance to be a, a, a CEO, I was in my late 30s and... I am a red profile and I felt my force of nature, my determination and work ethic would probably go a long way. I think as one gets a bit older and wiser, you realize that actually, you know, that that's, that's not the full picture to being a good leader and, and leadership is many things to many people. But, you know, I'm, I'm much more focused as I hope this is coming across on you know, every individual in the firm playing their role, driving the right culture. The contribution from all is crucial. Respecting people's expertise, the skills they bring to the table, but also, you know, the different needs that colleagues might have. I mean, a few weeks ago, somebody called me and said, Dean, I never felt the organization would allow me to work four days a week, not five. Or indeed, now I've had my second child, I'm going to work three days a week and I still feel like I can contribute. And actually, that's heartwarming. I mean, there is nothing off the table. People can ask for anything and we will consider it. So, you know, having a culture where people feel that flexibility can be afforded and, you know, that they can work three days, not five. But I'm sure during those three days, we still get an immense amount of value from that colleague. For me, that's that's just showing that the journey we've been on is, is, is making progress. Mm -hmm. Any advice you might give to, you know, other business leaders who are, trying to get the most out of their organization and how they think about strategy and purpose? I just go back to where we started, which is you, you've got to engage people from the start and go on the journey together. I, I'm really glad. And it wasn't my idea, by the way, it was somebody else's to, you know, to talk to every single colleague and ask them for their input. People generally support what they help build. And you know, we, we built it together. Everybody contributed. If there is a learning in that, of course, during covid and during the last two and a half years, 
350 colleagues has become 500, and I, I would envisage something like 100 to 150 colleagues have joined the firm after we did that exercise. So you have to make sure that when you recruit people and they've got new to team members, that they are in, engaged in the cultural process and don't feel like they've arrived too late. So it's an ongoing exercise to keep colleagues engaged and on the journey, but I do think it's time well invested. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? What haven't we talked about that would be worthwhile touching on? I just wonder if we should talk a little bit about the future because our industry has still got huge amounts of opportunity. For me, it's two areas that we'll see it progress uh, over the next, let's just say, five to ten years, and it's people and technology. We'll start with technology first, but I do feel fortunate having gone to work in bigger institutions and seen the immense amount of value that can be created by investing and having the right technology in place. And I, I mean, I describe myself as a sort of a banker slash wealth manager. And in banking, I, I spent a short time back in, in consumer banking. And you see things like the, the, the use of digital mobile apps, open banking and aggregation. I mean, it's incredibly powerful of what it can do for an organization, but even more crucially, what it can do for a consumer. You know, the ease by which people can now deal with their retail banking requirements is incredible. And that technology, that thinking, that approach, I think is going to transform the wealth and asset management industry at a similar pace over the next decade. And if we can do that, I think that gives us an edge. We are lucky at 7am to have our own proprietary platform. That means we're not beholden on a third party for where we invest in the technology that we invest in. And I think that does allow us to create you know, a, a point of difference about how we go on and execute in the technology space. Coupled with that, though, I would come back to people and not just the culture aspect, which is the advice need in the UK has never been greater. As we come out of COVID, as we enter periods of high inflation, as consumers consider how they provide for their future life and pension provisions, the advice process is crucial. And I think it's a combination of people and technology that will ensure that's delivered you know, to the best for an individual client's needs. Again, I, I hope 7am can be part of that journey. We, we want to deliver unrivaled experiences. And I think the combination of people and technology are hugely powerful to the next five to 10 years of our industry. That, for me, makes the future really rather exciting, and I just hope we can continue on the, the journey at 7am and even greater position in the marketplace. Picking up one sort of strand there about the future, you've grown fairly significantly in terms of people. Given the kind of interplay there of technology and people, if, if I came back in five years, would you expect to see that same growth in headcount or would you think, no, it might be even, you know, we'll be growing even more and even faster? Or do you think the impact that technology might mean you could grow financially fairly significantly, but actually the number of heads wouldn't go up? What's, what's your, I know it's very difficult to predict the future, but what's your sense of what that might hold? Yeah, what one hopes technology does, of course, automate certain processes, not just for the efficiencies and the, and perhaps not having to have as, as many colleagues doing manual work. The, the other bit, of course, is, is that that generally drives a better experience, a more accurate experience, a more timely experience for the user. So, you know, you, you'd have to predict that technology is, is going to help in that regard. But I do think the advice process, and, you know, we're lucky to advise a very attractive client base, requires the combination of a human and a digital element. 
We don't want to provide digital robo-advice. We believe the sophistication of our clients requires a combination of both. So I, I do anticipate further increase in polyg numbers, but I think it will hopefully be more directed at specific areas rather than just generally across all functional areas because you know, technology has a role to play in improving one's efficiencies in an operational sense. I think the other thing I'd probably say, Gordon, is, is that I really hope our industry also starts to attract a more diverse workforce. The financial advice space has been dominated by you know a certain type of individual over the last generations. I think in order to correct that, it requires people like me to be open-minded that people can switch from, from certain sectors into this sector and get themselves qualified. But I do think that also we need to be bringing more people in from universities, etc. It gives us a more diverse workforce moving forward over the next 10 to 20 years. Because your workforce does have to reflect your client base, and I think that can be improved upon. Have you set targets around diversity or just kind of, you know, you need to be doing more there? What gets measured gets done, so we have targets. We have a, a DNI group, we have a gender equality network, and there are targets. Without a target, you don't have a purpose, so you know, you've got to have an aspiration. We, we, do, we do have that, so... Uh, we'll, we'll seek to make progress on that over the next two to three years. But I think it's a sector thing. We need to encourage more people from different backgrounds of different types into our industry. It's a great industry. We look after some great clients. It's a really great place to work. And we've got to extract a broader base of people that want to join investment and asset management. Yeah. Well, I can your enthusiasm both for the, for the sector and for 7IM clearly comes through. I want to Thank you for joining us and for sharing both your insights and observations, your experience, but also some of your advice. I think really spot on. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Bill. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.